Welcome back to the Heaven and Health Podcast. Today we have a guest, Jessica Disher, and this is a special guest for me because those of you who are familiar with my testimony, and if not, you can go back and listen to the first episode of this podcast. Um, Jess was a really big part of that because after I had that initial encounter with, encounter with the Holy Spirit, I realized I really wanted to talk to someone about it, but I, I really didn't have any friends who were Christians at the time. And Jess and I had met several years before because we both competed in bodybuilding. Actually, we had the same bodybuilding coach. So we were prepping for shows together and uh, we were friends and I we kept in touch on social media. And so I knew that she was a Christian and she had actually posted a couple of things about new age practices, like some things that I was kind of dabbling in. And I remember at the time being really triggered by it. And ironically, uh, whenever I had that encounter, she was the person that I reached out to. I said, hey, you know, this might seem kind of random, but, you know, would you just pray for me? I feel like God's trying to do something in my heart and um, I would just really appreciate your prayers. And so we kind of got back in touch and hopped on the phone and I was able to share with her a little bit more about what was going on with myself and my husband and everything. And it was just so awesome and so special how God used that relationship and friendship from years before to really help me grow my faith in a really specific way for a really specific season. So, you know, I just, you know, looking back, I just see God's hand all over that. And so super exciting to have Jess on the podcast now. Uh, she's going to share a little bit about her testimony and then her journey to becoming a childbirth educator. So we definitely ran out of time and didn't get to talk about everything that we wanted to. I will definitely have her on the show again to talk specifically about biblical childbirth and kind of what to look out for in the birth industry, I guess you could call it, um, that's antithetical to the Christian faith. So without further ado, here is Jess. Welcome to the Heaven and Health Podcast. Today we have Jessica Disher here with us. Jess, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Do you want to just introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, Brittany, thanks for having me. So um, yeah, my name is Jessica Disher. I'm originally from Massachusetts, I'm now living in upstate New York. I've been here for a couple years and I am married to my wonderful husband, Dan. Um, we've been married for a couple years now, and we have a daughter who is going to be turning one next week, which is crazy to say. Um, and I am also currently 27 weeks pregnant, and we found out we're having a baby boy this time. Um, so we'll have a two under two party come February. Um, and I have a background in fitness and nutrition. I did competitive bodybuilding for a couple of years, which Brittany, you of course know, cause that's how we met. And, um, after that I had a business making, um, healthy, healthy snacks for a couple of years, which, um, took off really well. Um, but once I got pregnant, I decided to switch over to become a stay at home mom, um, which I really felt the Lord calling me to do. And that's, that's a story in itself. Um, but now I'm home with my daughter and soon to be son. And within this time, um, I've just become really um, passionate about understanding birth and what that means as a Christian and um, have recently started my platform as a Christian childbirth educator. Yeah, um, so much good stuff there. So excited. We're definitely going to dive into all things birth in the second half of the podcast, but I would love um, if you could just share a little bit more about becoming a Christian and um, your testimony with the listeners. I think that's always a really powerful thing to listen to someone before you hear what they're doing now to kind of hear what they came with, where they came from and um, everything like that. So share as much or as little as you want, but I would love for you to just share a little bit about your testimony. Yeah. So um, I became a Christian about 10 years ago. Um, growing up, I kind of had, I don't want to say a tough childhood, but there was some bullying and stuff going on within the home that um, just really kind of led me to choosing poor friendships and poor relationships. Um, 
And by the time I was in middle school, I was self-harming. By the time I was in high school, I had already started experimenting with smoking and, and drinking. And when I went into college, kind of still went down that path of just choosing poor friend groups. And within a couple of years after that, um, the drinking, drugs, stuff like that had led me into the partying rave scene. And looking back, we do what all unsaved people are doing. We're trying to fill a void. We're trying to numb the pain and um, doing that with the things of the world. And so within that same time, um, I was getting chronic panic attacks um, that were very life crippling. Um, and I was put on medication, which I just hated being on. And um, I knew I needed real healing, um, not a medication. And, you know, from the outside, I looked like I had it all together. You know, I, I held down. I always had a great job. I was into bodybuilding. I kept myself put together. Um, but it was all a facade. I was just really broken inside. And, you know, one of the big things that I think we hear a lot is um, about going down a different path in terms of a belief system, or religion, or whatever it may be. You know what? That never actually happened to me. I never deconstructed. Um, I never dabbled with other things. I always believed in God and Jesus, but I had no relationship. I, I really just didn't think about it at all because I think I justified my sin because of my broken past and I was just hurt. And so while all this is happening, um, my mom was a Christian. She got saved when I was five years old. And um, I was an only child, or I am an only child, and um, I had a really close relationship with my mom. She was my best friend. And so while everyone saw what they thought was me, my mom saw the real me, and I confided in her. And so she was always praying for me, and that's why I always tell parents, whether they're our age or much older, never stop praying for your kids. Um, she was always sharing the word with me. She always had her Christian programs on in the background, and those were all those seeds getting planted. And so when I was just kind of in a, in a bad struggle that she could see and that I shared with her, she, um, I was 23 years old and she had invited me to church and, um, I grew up Catholic. Um, I guess you could say, um, just kind of going through the motions of that, but I'd never stepped foot in a Christian church. And so I was a little reluctant at first, but finally I did say yes. And she, um, brought me to her church. It was a very different experience than going to a Catholic church. And um, it probably was only within a few weeks of attending regularly um, that I, I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that was in 2013. And, you know, like the first couple years, there, I think there's a lot of wrestling. There's a lot of things that we're trying to understand what the Bible says. And um, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. Social media is not the way that it was even 10 years ago. So I think there's a lot of beautiful resources and um, access to things that I didn't have back then. It was just kind of me and a Bible, but, um, but the Lord, the Lord used the people in my life, the church that I was at at the time. And, you know, he throughout the last 10 years, which is weird to say, cause it, it's, it's been a while. A whole now. decade. That's crazy. Yes. We usually like say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I think one of the Lord's most beautiful attributes is his patience and his mercy um, because there were times in my walk that I was extremely lukewarm. There were times that I wanted to, you know, justify what I was doing and would look in the Bible and be like, oh yeah, well that says what it says loud and clear. There's no disputing that. And um, just experiencing his love and kindness through my walk because we know it is far from linear it is up and down and all around. And that's, that is our walk with the Lord. And it's the, it's the valleys and the mountaintops. And, um, yeah, so I've just, I'm so grateful. I, it, in looking back when you like see it, you know, month to month or year by year, a lot of times you don't see your growth, but when you look back years, I mean, I found a journal from when I was 12 or 13 years old. And regardless of the fact that I was, you know, that young, I was reading my journal notes and I was so vulgar just so perverted. I, I looked at that and I, I, it actually disgusted me. And I was like, I don't know who that girl is. I really don't. And I threw it out 
And, um, but it, it was actually encouraging at the same time because I just, it was something that I could only attribute to God. It's nothing that I could have done in my own strength. And, um, yeah, so yeah. the Lord's been very faithful in my life. And, um, now it's like, he's just been so good to bless me with a family, which is something that I've prayed for since I was a little girl. I always wanted to be a wife and a mother. So, which kind of has led me to my calling now. Yeah. Could you, um, actually talk a little bit about that, uh, meeting Dan and getting married and then obviously, you know, preparing for birth and kind of, you know, the last few years, I guess, of what that's, what that kind of looked like. Um, because I know, you know, you were Christian and Dan was a Christian when you met. So, um, just, would you share a little bit about that and kind of where it's led you to right now? Yeah. So, um, I was single for, about a little over two years prior to meeting Dan, I had really surrendered that part of my life and um, just said to the Lord, you know, I will remain single for the rest of my life, but I'm going to trust that you're going to bring a godly husband to me. And even if you're, even if you don't, that's okay, but I want to live to serve you. And um, I say that because um, I think he really needed to change my heart posture in that, in that area of my life. Um, Cause that is a part of my testimony that would have been too long to go into um, but he actually romantically messaged me on Instagram and I, to this day, he does not know how he found me. And I looked at him and I said, you know, who's this guy? And I actually didn't want to allow myself to get to know him because I was in such a good place of my life and in my walk with the Lord that I almost didn't want to allow myself to become vulnerable. But, um, you know, I, I treaded very lightly because, and he did too, because both of us, people can say whatever they want on social media about who they are. And so we quote unquote met in 2018, November, November 4th, 2018. I remember the day we didn't meet until April of 2019. So we just built a friendship for about six months. And uh, my husband was working in full-time ministry at this time. And so his pastor just kind of wanted to oversee it and just kind of make sure, you know, he's protecting his flock and um, wanted to make sure that Dan was talking to a woman of God. And so um, we just built this great friendship. And then we started talking on the phone and um, I met him in person. And when I met him, it's like, I felt like I knew him my whole life and not because of the, the time that we built, that was obviously part of it too. But you just know when you find your person, like, it's just very organic the way that it happens. But most of all, he was a man of God and you could just tell by his fruit. And, um, it, it was just very obvious, even though we didn't get married until 2021, we just, I think we both knew we just wanted to give this relationship to the Lord. And, um, we did a courtship and it was beautiful because it allowed us to build a foundation that I don't know if when you're tr just doing traditional dating, if that's something that you typically do, but, um, we got married and, July of 2021. And um, kind of an interesting part of our story is my husband was going to the doctor um, because he was told that he was having, he was going to have issues with his fertility and us being able to have a child. And so my husband just said like, Hey, just so you know, I'm going to be, be put on these medications by my endocrinologist. And I just don't know what this journey is going to look like for us. And I said, all right, well, we're just going to pray about it and trust the Lord that it's going to happen. Well, I got pregnant February of 2022. And so that's only eight months. And then we know that uh, married couples on average, it takes a year for their, for them to get pregnant with their first child. So we were not late by any means. And um, he told his endocrinologist at his next appointment, like, hey, by the way, my wife is 12 weeks pregnant. And the doctor was like, really? He's like, I'm surprised. Dan was like, well, you gave me this medication. It should have worked. And the doctor was like, oh, no, no. He's like, this isn't a type of medication you take where, you know, you you, you take it one or two times and your, your levels are back to normal. It's like, this was supposed to take up to a year to even get you to a place where you were suitably fertile. He's like, so the fact that your wife is pregnant, I would chalk that up to a miracle. So, wow. yeah. And, you know, of course, Dan was like, well, that's the God I serve. So, um, so yeah, so 
we we were pregnant pretty much right away and um yeah that was that was yeah. you know that was an awesome thing to experience yeah and so at this point you know you probably were somewhat familiar with birth like with you know friends who were pregnant or whatever but like what was your general sentiment like were you when you got pregnant because obviously you weren't you were unsure how long it would take and all those things but did you when you were preparing for that like what what was going through your mind and what kind of things were you just you know going through the list of things you wanted to look into or anything like that um describe what that was like for you yeah so prior to becoming pregnant um if you had asked me what one of my biggest fears were, I would have told you it was to give birth. And I meant that because I had never seen birth. Um, I think the day that they played it in high school, I was like out sick that day. So I didn't even get the high school like videotape version of it. <laughs> Literally nothing. And all I heard were the horror stories from, from older women and what they show on television, which is just this exaggerated woman with, you know, just screaming with her legs up in the air. And um, I, I I knew that, that that couldn't have been correct, but that was all I knew of. And so I remember my friend, my best friend, she's a doula. She said, um, one of the things that you want to look into when you get pregnant is Pitocin. And so I was like, wait, you mean all the drugs aren't good? Like there's there's bad things to these drugs that help you with birth? And then, you know, something kind of clicked in me because I, um, I'm not very, I, I like to do things natural. I try to, you know, only take like medicine, Western medicine, quote unquote, if you will, if I have to, I try to find the natural approaches. So I guess you could say, I'm like, what do they call it now when you're semi crunchy or scrunchy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess like you could, you could say that I'm like scrunchy and, um, and I'm very sensitive to medicine. That's the other part too. And so when I, something kind of clicked in me and I'm like, my, my thoughts on birth are not aligning with my beliefs and values. And also if I believe that God designed our bodies to give birth in any capacity at all, then I'm definitely thinking about this totally out of fear. And, um, I remember it was probably the algorithm just triggering me, but it worked out in my favor. There was a post about Pitocin and I was like, oh yeah, my friend told me about this. And I entered this rabbit hole and all of a sudden I feel like I entered the natural birth world. <laughs> and I remember seeing a video of a home birth and it absolutely blew my mind. This woman was in the pool she had her spouse just embracing her. She was calm. You could tell she was having moments of extreme intensity, but it was nothing like I had ever seen before. And I just never knew that birth could be like that. And we know birth does not look the same for every woman for numerous reasons, but I just never knew that birth could be peaceful and beautiful in that way. And so once it really clicked that, all of my thinking was out of fear and didn't align with the way I truly believed things, um, especially about health and fitness and taking care of your body for something that should be very natural. It led me into wanting to do a deep dive. And so when I got pregnant with my daughter, it was about, right, because I, I started looking into that stuff, kind of knowing that I should get pregnant in the near future. But then once I got pregnant with her, it kind of forced me to really start to look into things a little bit deeper. Um, and I just started to eat up podcasts, books, resources, and it really opened my eyes in a very short amount of time. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about as a birth worker now is letting moms know that even before you have your baby, there's a lot of decisions you have to make. Like, Brittany, I don't know if you realize that, like, when you go to these prenatal appointments, I mean, you can say, like, sure, just, you know, give me whatever you have to offer. But if that's not how you are typically, and you have questions about the testing that they're going to do and what that looks like, you know, you're definitely going to want to research these things to be able to make a sound decision that you're comfortable with. And so yeah. I just didn't realize how much research I was going to have to do before this baby even came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
There is a lot. There's like things that you, I mean, some of them seem are like seemingly small decisions. And if you were to go into your doctor, they would just kind of say it matter of factly. And for most people, they probably just have never thought about it. So when they're in that situation, they don't really feel empowered to even ask the questions because, and that was me when I was pregnant with Benjamin, like I didn't know anything. And it wasn't until much, much later that I had my like rabbit hole moment. But um, yeah, you just don't really realize it. And you kind of just, you can it really easily just kind of go through your whole pregnancy and then get to the birth and not really understand a lot of the things that you agree to or whatever until you already agreed to them because you, they just don't really do a good job explaining it or you you just, you know, blindly trust whatever they're telling you and that doesn't always work out to the favor of the mom depending on what her values are and what she wants out of pregnancy and birth yeah and for me I was being offered a lot of tests one of them for me personally and again like as your listeners hear this you know this is just my experience and I encourage every mom to research what is best for her and, and her family. But one of the testings, the first ones that they do for you is an NIPT test. And that's genetic testing. Now, for some people, they want to know that information. Now, they didn't tell me that almost everyone will pull up some type of genetic disorder when they get their blood work done. They didn't tell me anything. In fact, they offered me the test. I was with my husband for the first appointment and I said no. The next visit I went to, I was by myself. They offered it to me again. I thought they were talking about another test because I had already declined it. And so they're like, everyone does it. So I was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess if everyone does it. And it came back that um, I was a carrier for spinal muscular atrophy. Well, if you're a first-time mom and you've had any history of anxiety in your past, please do not Google that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is horrifying. And... You know, I, and so I presented it to my husband and I said, they'd next want to see if you're a carrier for it. And here are the percentages and to, to really know if our child would have it, they would need to do a sampling from the placenta, but that in, it has a, has a increased risk of miscarriage if you even do that. So really we will never truly know if we're not going to take the sample from the placenta we're never going to know if our child has it until we give birth anyways. And my husband was just like, we're, we're having this baby no matter what. I said, I know. He said, then what, let's yeah. not even, let, why even bother? And so that was, I'm grateful that happened though, because it, it kind of just let off something in my head that going forward, I should really research because at least for him and I, we weren't necessarily the the couple that is just going to say yes to everything. And we want to research before we make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a really important lesson to learn, I'm sure. And I'm, and I'm assuming that once you started learning more about pregnancy and birth, like I know that it was your goal to have an unmedicated vaginal birth. And I know that a cultural kind of conversation around that can be, I think it's, I don't know if it's changing or if I'm just so much in that area that I hear some much more positive talk about it now, but I do think the conversation is changing. It's a little more common than it was, but by and large, there's a lot of, people have a lot of opinions about that and can kind of speak a lot of negative negativity toward that goal. Um, so I would love if you just talked kind of about how you came, I mean, you kind of already did about how you came to that decision just because that's, that's your personal preferences to do things more naturally and things like that, but how that influenced, you know, how you prepared for birth and some things that you maybe learned along the way um, to, to make that successful for you when it was time. Yeah, so I definitely knew after doing my research that I was going to, as long as my health stayed in a way that I was a candidate for it, for a unmedicated physiological birth. Um, I did choose to give birth at um, a birth center and I hired two doulas who were absolutely wonderful. And that's one thing that I'm a huge proponent on. If that's something that you're looking into, 
um, when you're pregnant, if you want that added advocacy and support to get a doula. Um, they really just gave me so much information, so much support and really helped me, you know, as time progressed, my first trimester, second and third, and what was coming up and the questions that I had, I had appointments with them every month to every couple of weeks. And they just assisted me with how to make those decisions. And that was very helpful. And so, um, I had them planned along with the birth center. Um, and you know, there is a lot of talk about, birth centers now and how it's really just a birth center in name and it's really a hospital that is true for a lot of places I um, want to say that I've been I was really blessed even though our birth center is technically under a hospital it's Burdett Birth Center over in Troy New York um, they're actually trying to shut it down um, which is happening across the country but it really was a birth center in culture. And I think it's because it's been around for so long out of the six midwives that are there, I think three or four of them come from home birth backgrounds. Um, the nursing staff was absolutely phenomenal. And looking back, I would say with all the information that I have now, um, I was, I would say I was about 90% happy with everything that happened. And for a first time birth experience in America, especially in a birth center in a hospital, I'll take that. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was, it, it was great. Um, I went into labor, uh, 40 and five. It was actually the night of Thanksgiving and it was kind of humor because we have Thanksgiving coming up. Um, I was, you know, past my due date and my doula had said, you know what you need to do? You just need to eat some good food and relax. And when that time happens, you're probably going to go into labor. And sure enough, I stuffed my face at Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, I went to bed at 8.30 and I woke up at 11.30 with a contraction that was no doubt a contraction. And um, I had a, for a first time mom, I had a short, I would say on the shorter side, um, it was eight hours beginning to end. I waited until um, I was pretty much in active labor to go to the birth center. And um, when I got there, they let me, you know, get into the shower and get into the positions that I wanted. I didn't choose to eat, but they would have if I wanted to. And um, I ended up having her at seven in the morning and they were great. They, we had an undisturbed golden hour, delayed cord clamping, all those things that you request on your birth plan, which is um, something that I think is very important if you're going into a hospital setting to have a birth plan ready, um, cause you don't want to think when you're in labor, you want to go into labor land and, um, yeah, they were phenomenal. So, um, I was very happy with that, but, um, with this pregnancy, I'm actually, because there's been uncertainty with the birth center. Um, I am going to, I'm planning on having a home birth this time around. So that's something I'm very excited about. That's awesome. I actually, this is off top, not off topic, but just as a side, I was watching Gilmore Girls as I do every fall. And there was a scene in there where Luke's sister is pregnant and she decides that she wants to have a home birth. And her husband comes into his diner all freaked out about her wanting to have the baby. She wants to have the baby at home in some pool with the, the midwife and the doula. And it was just like, such a I wanted to record it and send it to you because I feel like it would make such a good reel or something because it was exactly the conversations that like we hear if you were to tell someone that you were interested in having a home birth they would just immediately be like that's so weird that's not that's this that's that and like share all the things um but once you learn more about birth and you know it's obviously up to your comfort level too but um I just feel like I like it changes your perspective, but seeing it on the show, it was just so stereotypical that I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I thought of you immediately. Now I want to know what episode that is because I have been, of course, fall binging Gilmore Girls and I have that, that's probably yeah. one of the only episodes because you know that would have completely like. Yes, it's like that. later, it's one of the later, it's one of the later seasons. It has to be like either the last season or the season right before the last season. Okay, I'll just find it. But yeah, going yeah. back to what you were saying, because I didn't I, I didn't touch on that. Um, and again, same thing, like I'm 
very much in that birth world. So I don't know if we're just seeing it more because those are the accounts that we follow and that's what we see or if there really is a conversation starting to happen. But I mean, as it stands right now, 99% of women still give birth in the hospital in America. 1% are having home birth. So we are still considered foreign and weird. And um, But I think when you look at the statistics, um, it really shows that for a healthy pregnancy and everything's normative that there's a very, it's, it's about 90% of successful home births, 94% success rate for a vaginal birth. And the truth is, and this is going back to God's design. He didn't miss a thing when he made our bodies. I mean, when you really understand the science, I mean, I, I, I was laughing cause I'm like, you really it takes more convincing of a big bang than God's design when it comes to the woman's body. Oh yeah. yeah. It's just, it's crazy. But when you leave birth undisturbed, that is the greatest chance that things are going to go well. And we know that there can be medical reasons for induction that are valid. And obviously the same for cesarean. We're never, there's not never going to be someone in the birth working world, midwife, doula, educator that's going to say that we should do away with those things. Absolutely not. But the percentages are astronomically high for really just ridiculous reasons. One in three women at this point are having a C-section in America. Back in the 80s, it was, I think they said that was the quote unquote happy place where it was the proper percentage. And I think it was between 10 and 15%. I was a C-section baby because I was great. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a time where OBGYNs were being trained less and less in breech birth. So, I mean, if you're not trained mm-hmm. in it, then I guess do what you're trained to do. But yeah. um, I do think that there is a conversation starting because of, again, social media. I think it has its good sides and its bad sides. But one of the good things is that we have a lot of people who are educated in certain fields that are able to bring this to everyone that finds their page And generations behind that, I mean, when you look at, I think it was the 20s and 30s and twilight birthing, I don't know if you ever looked into that yourself, Brittany, but it's, I won't even get into that, but anyone who's curious, look up twilight birthing, it's pretty horrific. Um, And then we have the 50s where everything was getting shifted into the hospital, you know, formula was being pushed. It really seemed like an agenda, to be honest with you, and just imbalanced of the women that actually needed that. Um, And so when you have generation on top of generation who have been traumatized from birth, but because everyone, almost everyone's been traumatized from birth, it's not looked as as trauma. It's looked at as normal. So then when you're trying to claim that and take that back and say, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, go unmedicated and try to go natural isn't it crazy? It's kind of like Brittany, how me and you think of like dieting. It's like when you eat clean, it's like, oh, you're on a, a a diet for life. And it's like, no, America has just went so far the other way with diet. And everyone is just eating so poorly because of manufactured food that like when you eat clean food, you're looked at as different and, and weird. Right. And, um, Yeah. So one of the things that I just became really passionate about is understanding that a lot of women just quote unquote, go with the flow, especially with their first pregnancy, because when we go, when we're sick or, you know, we have an injury, we trust those doctors, we trust their schooling, which we should. Um, But with birth, it's a little bit different because OBGYNs are surgeons, which is good when it's needed. um, But they're, they fear birth. And they don't believe that when it's undisturbed and natural, that everything should go well. And there is also the incentive of, you know, insurance companies and profit for the hospitals and um, just a mix of things. But I think it's really the mindset that the OBGYN should be, inter- you know, intervening in somewhat in some way. And um, we have these women who are giving birth. And they're thinking they they can have a voice for themselves or they're thinking, you know, everything should just go peachy. And all of a sudden there is, and Brittany, I, I see you smirking because I think you can attest to this. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're in a cascade of interventions, you're fed rhetoric, 
you are coerced into a decision that you didn't really have time to think about, or you didn't even know to research and think about. And um, I believe women are a lot smarter than that. I believe that we have that mama intuition before we even give birth. And when we have a medical system that is using a lot of rhetoric, um, it can make us start to doubt ourselves and, you know, being told, well, if you don't do this, your baby's going to die. Well, no mom is going to let their baby die. So of course they're going to do with that. And if they don't know any better, they're not going to know to question things. I think there, and I'm, and I'm one of those types where I can be very passive and I don't, you know, I'll just, you know, be a, be a good patient and nod my head until something happens. And then I think when you see, and maybe because, you know, we're in our thirties now, you know, now we're having subsequent births because we've had that experience. Now we're realizing that like, well, I don't want to happen what happened last time if I can help it. So I do think there's a movement of women who are trying to take their births back. And with that, we're trying to pass that knowledge on to couples and moms that are family planning and and thinking about going that route. So I'm hoping that there's a, a conversation shift Because at the end of the day, if you want to have a natural birth, if you want to have an epidural, if you want to have an elective C-section, at the end of the day, that's your decision. But I think when we present the facts and the statistics, I can't help but think that a lot of those decisions would change. And if they don't change at the end of the day, that's mom's decision. But you want to be sure that you're going in there educated really knowing the truth about all of these because again like I just always believe that the epidural had no side effects whatsoever and that it just you know made mama feel great and baby came out and everyone was hunky-dory and then I looked more into it and I said oh no there are some serious side effects that come with the epidural Um, and it's not to shame I I think that you know there's absolutely a place for it Um, but if you want to look into those things, which I think every mom that cares about the outcome of their birth and how their child is. I, I mean, I think when it's like, hey, this is something you looked into. I, I really don't think women purposely turn a, turn a blind eye when they're cautioned to look more into things. Yeah, yeah. And I think, gosh, so much here, but this is one reason why what you're doing is so important, because I remember going into my first birth and I did like the birthing class at the hospital and I I had midwives and they were not, I did not have a bad experience. It was not the experience that I wanted. And I didn't really know that until it already happened. Like you're saying, like I wasn't until after the fact, like looking back that I was like, wow, that was really traumatizing. I wish it wouldn't have happened that way. But a lot of the things that they went over in that birth class, like didn't even matter. Like (laughs) they were covering things that I'm like, this is like looking back, I mean, none of that was helpful when it actually came time to making the decisions and being in the hospital in, you know, whatever. And so I think that's, one of the reasons why having, why you doing what you're doing is, can be really important, especially for first-time moms. I know a lot of moms who have some sort of birth trauma seek this out, but in particular, I think women who just don't, who it's their first time giving birth and they just don't know what to look into or they've never thought about it or they, they just don't know. And so I think that's really important. You mentioned earlier Pitocin um, and the cat that cascade of interventions and um I would I would love if you could just like say talk about like what Pitocin is and then we don't have to go in depth into the cascade of intervention but you can just kind of paint the picture of you know a typical and this was my birth experience with Benjamin it was the very typical like textbook cascade of interventions I was induced fully bulb Pitocin no progress c-section like it was like exactly by the books how this cascade of intervention can often take place. So for people who aren't familiar, can you just talk about what Pitocin is and then go through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when you go into labor, um, your body has all different types of hormones um, that are working together. 
And one of the main ones is oxytocin, which is the quote unquote love hormone. So Pitocin is the artificial and synthetic version of oxytocin. Now, if you ask a doctor, they're going to say it's the exact same thing, but it's not. Um, the problem with Pitocin is that it doesn't produce those love hormones and only the sensation of the contractions. And so this is why when women are typically put on Pitocin, their contractions are a lot more painful, um, a lot more intense back to back really don't get a break in between and they don't have those good feeling hormones um, to go along with it. Um, another part that I think a lot of women don't understand is when you get Pitocin and an epidural, all those hormones that you have naturally cross over into the placenta. When you start to get an epidural Pitocin, that cuts everything off. So before you have mom and baby working together, feeling the same things, being able to work now that actually cuts off. So the baby is left feeling alone. Um, and that's just the truth. And I don't, that's one of the many things that I don't think we are told. And, um, and so with that, you have someone who is induced with Pitocin. Now the woman is probably in a lot of pain, understandably. Um, so now they're asking for the epidural, they get an epidural. And now, because labor has not started spontaneously on its own, a lot of times it's because mom was not physically ready to give birth. And so the nurses and, and doctors will start to monitor the heart rate of the baby. And many times, if baby isn't tolerating what's going on, then they will start to notice fetal distress. And then at that point, they want to perform a C-section because if baby isn't handling labor well, well, then we want to get baby out as soon as possible. And so it can just all happen so fast that you go from, we're just going to do, you know, the lowest form of Pitocin to get things started. And then all of a sudden mom is in excruciating pain and she says, you know, I need some pain relief. And so she gets that, but then she's numb. And if you can't feel what's going on, then it's really hard to progress. And so then, and then another thing, maybe baby is handling things, but maybe they're just not progressing. And so what we see many times for C-section is just quote unquote failure to progress. Um, and so we want to, again, get, get baby out in order to make sure that every, let's look like, you know, it's just, let's just get it done with. Like kind of like that mindset, you know, you'll be in and out in 20 minutes. And that's how they, they, I don't know if they said it to you, like it's, we're just going to get it in and out in 20 minutes. And you know what? Thank God we have C-sections and thank God we have epidurals and Pitocin for when these things are needed. However, when we're talking about one in three women getting them, is that statistically necessary? I would argue no. So where do we find this gap where we said between 10 and 15%. So let's just say 12% of women truly qualify for needing a C-section, but we're at 30. Where is this other 18% of women? Why are they getting them? And it's, it's a failure on the medical system to be quite, to be quite honest. Um, and so you have these women who maybe were okay with a little bit of intervention if needed, but like you said, you know, fully bald, Pitocin, epidural, C-section. I mean, I don't know, Brittany, because my experience wasn't that, but I don't know if you had a moment where your head was kind of spinning, like, how did we get here all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. And too, like, the hospital I was at did not allow me to eat. And by the time that I was getting rolled in for the C-section, I had been mostly awake and at the hospital for 36 hours. So I was exhausted. Like I was so tired and they didn't push a C-section on me. They were like, it's, it's ultimately your choice. But like my epidural didn't, it, I had a horrible time getting my epidural and it didn't work. Um, and I'm similar to that. I don't react well to medication and I did not react well to it. I was exhausted and they were like, the choice is up to you, but like, you're not. So after all that intervention, I still was not progress like barely at all and so I wasn't forced but I, I honestly was like well what else am I gonna do like I was just so tired and 
you know, I think that's a factor that you don't really think about. I, I mean, I never th thought about that um, and the effect that would have on just being able to make decisions. And, you know, I didn't want to do that, but I felt like I didn't at that point, they like, you're like, they're like, you have a choice. And I'm like, well, what other choice do I have? <laughs> do right. I though? Like you're saying I have a choice, but like, you yeah. know, it was, it was very hard. I haven't had probably much to drink. I haven't slept. I'm not progressing. Like what else, what yeah. other options? I mean, you're saying I don't have to make this choice, but what other options do I really have at this point? And probably, at, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but you were probably ready to meet your son and be done with it. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 And the yeah. reason that I was induced was because I was past due. He was a really, they, he, they were estimating that he was a big baby, which I know sometimes estimations can be off. It was right in his case. He was a very large baby, but my body just wasn't ready. Um, and he wasn't so big and it wasn't so bad that like I had, that had to have happened, which I know now. But then I was scared because they were like, you're little, he's big, we're concerned, just, but like, there was no reason there. I like my, I was, I was handling it fine. He was handling it fine, but they would only let me go to 41 weeks. And so, and see that you know, verbiage, that's what happened. Only, that verbiage, they would only let me go to 41 weeks. And like, isn't that crazy? because the whole like your pelvis is too small the baby's too big I mean granted Benji was a big boy but I mean we're not talking 14 pounds where it's like right you know, like fat is squishy skulls mold pelvises move you can move so mm -hmm. chances I mean that's a big thing like I the rhetoric for so long was the quote-unquote big baby now I think we're shifting into small baby because I actually got that with this pregnancy, because um, I did go for one ultrasound and, um, you know, small baby is the new big baby with, you know, the reasons why they want to induce you. But, and, you know, like, obviously, you know, yes, you share the details and maybe there's more to it that, you know, they didn't like to see, but really it's just the whole, like, your pelvis is too small, the baby's too big. Again, when we look at God's design, very rarely do we see that actually being true. If you go to a third world country and you have a malnourished woman and a borderline deformity, yes, maybe her pelvis is too small to birth her child. Yes, we do have those extreme cases, but God doesn't make mistakes. We see 10 pound babies all the time. And it's like, it's so funny because when you have like a really small child, sometimes it could be, you know, there could be worry because it's premature, it's too small. But like what happens when we give birth to a big baby? Everyone looks and is like, oh, what a beautiful, healthy chunker we have. So it's like, yeah. what were we so scared about? Um, but yeah, so that's one of the things that I really would love to change. Um, for our generation and for the next generation of childbearing women is not only preparing them to give birth in a way that they understand what their choices are, but let's even go before birth and labor and delivery. Let's talk about pregnancy. You know, let's talk about a healthy fertility um, because most yeah. women, and I did the same thing with my first pregnancy. Me and my husband did a virtual pregnancy class with my doula and she was phenomenal but we didn't get into it until the third trimester because we're like, we're getting ready to rock and roll. We're almost at that time. But really, you know, when we think about all the choices we have to make, I think there should be more education classes on what it looks like for proper nutrition. What does exercise look like during your pregnancy? What are some natural herbs that you can take to aid your pregnancy? You know, breath work, stuff like that. Um, and you know, again, I think it's like, well, I don't want to get, and sometimes we can be in, because that was one of the things that you said earlier, like there was so much to think about. I think we very much easily get overwhelmed, especially when, as a first time mom, we find out we're pregnant. There's so much going on, but really, I guess my big thing is we have moms who are trying to pour, putting more time into picking out their stroller than in picking out who they want to be there for their birth and where they want to give birth and how they want to give birth. And that's backwards. You can, I, I have a, I have a great stroller that I put a lot of time into knowing what's wanted. <laughs> so, you know, no knocking on finding stuff that, that helps you in your postpartum days, but it shouldn't be 
focusing on the things when, you know, you're going to remember your birth, your birth will affect you for the rest of your life. It might, it might alter your, your thinking about having kids going forward. If it was that traumatic, it might cause you to pause or, or, you know, even think about if that's something that you want to do again. So it's really important that we educate women on having a healthy pregnancy because, you know, there are some, some things that are unavoidable, but statistically, the healthier of a pregnancy that you have, the less intervention that you will need, you know, on average. And so we want to be able to share with women like, hey, this is something you probably want to be thinking about as you're getting ready for your family planning. And don't overwhelm yourself. If anything, the earlier you start, the more time you have to prepare for all these things. Because some decisions, you kind of know what you want. Other things take some time to research. And, you know, the internet's great, but the internet's overwhelming. So it's like, you know, what I have found that there were a number of resources that were kind of my go-tos. Because then once you start looking at too many things, they can be it can be information that contradicts itself. So, yeah. So, you know, you want to find those resources that you trust and can be your go-tos, whether it be a podcast some great books, your doula, you know, or, or, you know, some great websites or a combination. And, you know, Brittany, it's kind of off topic, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned this was, and this was a while ago, it was a couple of years ago, but, and I don't even think you realize, but something that you posted was part of what got the wheels turning in my head early on. And it was about pelvic floor therapy. And I think it was just like a story that you shared, but you were basically like, I can't believe that I have my PhD and I was not educated on knowing about my pelvic floor and how that's affected by birth, especially after birth. And when I mentioned that to some women, even especially men, like unless that's something that you're dealing with and you're referred to a physical therapist, it's like pelvic floor, what's that? And that's crazy to me because the way that that's altered after, especially a vaginal birth, is is huge. And so as you're preparing for birth, you want to make sure that you have a strong pelvic floor. And so when you posted that, and that was before I even got pregnant, I was yeah. like, it was just an eye opener. I'm like, Brittany is so well educated and so well read, especially about health and the body. And even she's learning as she goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, it's just not talked about enough. And I was like appalled because it's especially important after birth, but even as someone who's really active, there are things that should, you should consider know about in regard to engaging and not engaging your pelvic floor when it comes to, let's say, pushing during the birth process and being able to do that effectively and having strategies to be able to do that effectively, you need to practice that and learn that. That's another thing that can be impacted by intervention. So if you do have an epidural, it's a lot harder to do those things, which is why you see afterward a lot more, you know, episiotomies or tearing or severe tearing, um, when people have epidurals and cannot feel what's happening or they're forced to push before they feel like they're ready, you see a lot more trauma to the pelvic floor. And then we don't tell women that they can have help for it. So they're just like, it leads to what you're saying. It may impact like subsequent births or if, if they choose to, to have more babies because of that experience and they just don't know, they think that it was necessary and unavoidable. And that's where I think educate like being a childbirth educator and going through some of the things that you're going to be doing is really powerful because that takes the expectation that everything is required or unavoidable when that's not true I think of it a lot like oh you know this disease or that disease runs in my family or whatever so what I do doesn't really matter because it's like unavoidable for me. That's just like my genetics. When we know it. now that like lifestyle, like yes, genetics is a factor, but your lifestyle is what pulls the trigger. So you're going to be much more likely to get those diseases if you're not living a healthy lifestyle. I think it's kind of like a similar, you can, I, I, I think of it as similar. Yeah. Um, there are things that make it much more likely you're going to experience this outcome 
um, based on things that happen prior, th decisions that you make prior. It's not always an exact formula, but it does increase or decrease the risk. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just having the knowledge about your pelvic floor and, you know, so for me, I got pregnant with my son six weeks post. I mean, yeah, six weeks. Oh my gosh. Absolutely not. Six months. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> They're few and far between, but they do happen. But I'll tell you, six months felt like six weeks. I was like, I don't feel like I even got a in between. But all that to say, one of the first things that came to mind when I got pregnant six months postpartum was, is my pelvic floor in a good state to give birth again? I mean, granted, I have a you know another nine to ten months, but I ended up getting um, physical therapy on my pelvic floor, and um, I had stage one uterine prolapse. You know, they said because you just gave birth, you haven't had time to strengthen those muscles fully. Again, they said you know it, you should be perfectly fine, but we're just going to get you on a program to get you where you need to be within the time that we have, but that's one of the things that, you know, if you don't, you just don't know what you don't know. And there are long-term or permanent effects of having, you know, a weak pelvic floor, you know, incontinence, stuff like that. And again, it's just something that I feel like women accept like, Oh, like I just, I just pee when I'm working out ever since I had a baby. And it's like, okay, well you might do all the things and you might still deal with that. But chances are, if you're getting, you know, a medical professional to help you, strengthen those things. That's just one of the many things that I know you and I could talk about on here. Um, that when women are educated and empowered and this, these things are communicated, um, we shouldn't have to be digging for that. Like I just saw, I don't know if it's Switzerland. Don't, don't quote me on the country, but I want to say Switzerland that it's part of their postpartum, like six oh, weeks. Yeah. Like insurance covers it. They have a midwife that comes to their house like once a week. And I'm like, that, that, and we won't even talk about, you know, maternity leave and what they get at other countries compared to us. But it's just so backwards, you know, like we should, yeah. there's no reason why women in America shouldn't be getting that type of care that they deserve. Yeah, I totally agree. And it takes, I think a lot of it, like it, I see you filling this role, me filling this role is just talking about it and helping women become more aware. And that can be sharing personal experiences, sharing formally through education or educational courses. Um, but I think there's just, that because it, the medical system doesn't lend itself to it and doesn't really talk about it, that so many women kind of go into postpartum and then they don't see a doctor again until they're pregnant again. And there's just so much that can happen and go on between that. Um, and so I'd love in the last few minutes, if you could just share kind of uh, a little bit about your business, what you're going to be doing. I'll make sure that in the show notes for this episode, I include um, the link to your wait list. If anyone who is listening is interested in connecting with you there and maybe share some other resources that you have, but um, yeah, just share a little bit about about what you're going to be doing. And I mean, I don't know if I don't think anyone here listening is up from upstate New York, but you never know. So if you are doing in-person stuff, you can share that as well. Yeah. Um, so right now, my main focus is virtual. So I want to be presenting a couple of different classes virtually for first-time moms, subsequent moms, families. Um, one is going to be just more of a traditional birth education class. Um, but then I, I've, the one that I'm really excited about is what I kind of touched on with you, Brittany, is preparing for pregnancy. Um, because I think once women see something offered to them, it's going to get the wheels turning of like, maybe this is something that will better help me. And it's also going to include birth, labor, breastfeeding, postpartum, all that good stuff. Um, but I really want to be able to focus in on how women can nourish their body, the proper way to move their body, um, how to have the best pregnancy, how to be informed. So they're not overwhelmed going into their appointments. Cause even if they see a midwife at a private practice, there's still a lot of things that they're going to have to make a decision on. They might not be coerced and not pressured, but, um, you just want to know what you're getting into. And, um, the more time you have to look into those things, you know, the less, the less stressful it becomes, um, and then, you know, for women of faith, I'm, I'm definitely going to be bringing in the aspect of what the Bible says about birth 
And this was something I wish we got to touch on more, but I know we said before we started recording that. We we'll have to have you back on. We'll, we'll have you back on to record just specifically about yeah. that. No worries. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, we'll just be able to, um, I'll be able to share with women how God designed their body for birth, what the Bible says about birth um, to encourage them because there is a lot of stuff that's going around in the natural birth world um, that isn't biblical. And if you're not careful, just like theology, you can be subscribing to something that isn't aligned with the word. Um, and so that's something that I really want to bring to light. Um, kind of, again, like healthy eating, like you have Christian, you know, the Christian demographic typically is into healthy eating, but then so is kind of like the new age movement. And so if you're not careful, yeah. you can start to dabble or have thoughts on stuff that is just not of God. Um, and so I'll be touching on that. And really, yeah, that's my main focus, the Bible, nutrition, and preparing for birth and just being informed and confident and just knowing that whatever your decision is, that you were able to make that with a, a place of just education and true knowledge and not rhetoric or coercion. Um, I don't think, I think every single woman deserves better than that. And um, you know, like that saying, as long as you and your baby are healthy, that's all that matters. No, that's not all yeah, that matters. Yeah, I know. I Yeah, yeah. And I've said yeah. it. I've said it. Yeah. Because I think it's just rolled off it's, of our That That is one of the most important things, of course. But right. you know, if mom is traumatized, if she's now having postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, if she's triggered by her traumatic re you know, response, and that isn't all that mattered. How she gave birth absolutely mattered and it will affect her in her subsequent births and maybe in a way in her life that she won't even realize until after the fact. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I'm so excited for you and so proud of you for doing all this. I, I can't wait to see how God uses uses you and your business now to help women through this. Um, I think it's just the perfect fit. Whenever you told me you were doing this, I was like, I can totally see this, you doing this and running with it and being so successful with it. So I'm really excited for you and for anyone listening who is interested um, in just connecting with Jess or um, taking one of her classes, I'll make sure that I link all of her information in the show notes, um, but definitely make sure to follow her on Instagram at Wellspring Childbirth. Yeah. Is that your handle? That's it. Okay. So give her a follow. And Jess, thank you so much for being on. Thanks, Brittany, for having me. Appreciate it.